0: The, 8th, the subject for tonight is the ubiquitous solar plexus center, um, also in Sanskrit called the Manipura Chakra. We've had lots of debates over how to pronounce the, the C. It's Chakra, uh, Chakra. It's normally said Chakra. It means wheel, incidentally, that's what it means. So you can say the Manipura wheel. I've given you a general talk on on the chakras a bit earlier, so today I'll concentrate on one, which is the most important one that most of you actually need to know about, and when you learn about this one, then hopefully you can start to graduate to the others. They're all quite important. My cellular consciousness specifically goes into quite some detail on chakras, the meaning of the petals and how to awaken them, control them, transmute the samskaras of them and so forth, for those types of um, meditators that um, need to do this type of work, specifically Buddhists. Incorporating the entire Tibetan Book of the Dead or the relevant chapters into the book. So all of those pharaomorphic deities, the animal-headed deities all relate to different petals of the chakras. And so it's fun stuff. As you all know, and most of you, well, I hope all of you know by now, this um, particular chakra, which exists below the diaphragm, in the um, Sanskrit Tai Chi, they call it Hari, the source of their power. It's um, the, the centering chakra. This particular chakra is the source of all of your woes, well, nearly all of your woes, your unhappinesses, your emotionality, much pain, um, emotional pain, and stacks of sicknesses that come through the abuse of its powers, abuse of its energies. The path of enlightenment consists of controlling this particular centre, controlling all aspects of it. It is the centre of the personal will. Whatever you think of as yourself and whenever you willfully do something relating to yourself, that's the solar plexus. The power of the solar plexus is what drives the I-concept. Ahamkara in the Sanskrit. It drives you to um, fulfil great amounts of personal ambition make lots and lots of money, make yourself um, uh, a big luminary in the material world, produce lots of charisma, become a movie star, pop star, a multi-millionaire, or just simply to somehow sort of get home from work when your car is broken down on the street and you're busy swearing away. That's all the SP. The solar plexus centre is... Um, the great problem of humanity it's the cause of not just your personal woes but all of their woes and cumulatively their woes if you think of in terms of yourself that which drives your personality ambition personality ambition is the solar plexus energy often fused with your throat centre to produce a a will of mind a will of desire desire mind as we call it kamamanas if you think of the way that people use this, um, this solar plexus, this personal ambition to attack others, to aggressively sort of produce and build around themselves, their domains of power, their their wonderful pads that they live in, their the little square boxes and yards around it, that um, is their, their personal empire where they rule over like a lord, that's power to achieve that with the nice four-wheel drive in front of your yard and um, all that that represents then think of nations they're the same the collective sp uh, solar plexus energy of a country like australia is focused upon the national leader and produces national policies war like tendencies. The adrenaline or the testosterone of, of Australia sends our boys over to Afghanistan to prove that we're a big mighty country. Very powerful on the international stage. And all the other wars we fought. Since the Boer War we haven't stopped fighting every war we go into, all because of this SP, the national pride. The flag waving ceremonies. Nationalism, yes. Then you think of a country like America and its aggressive war machine. Then you can go down to the school bully, using the same energy, the same SP, producing the same types of karma, but on a massive international scale. And of course the school bully never works alone. They always have a bunch of young thugs to assist them in terrorising the littler kids there is your international politics now you can understand that you here represent some of the, the finer aspects of humanity you actually represent initiates working to train yourself to control this SP, to control this lifelong habit of emotionality and forms of aggression to others that you haven't even thought of mental emotional aggression Um, physical aggression where you need your space how many times have you guys sworn or you ladies sworn because something didn't work out for you And when you're attacking the air around you and the divas that make up that space it's okay if you swear and you don't send the energy out and keep it within you, your own aura don't let it get beyond your personal space. But if you actually send it out and attacks somebody with it, then you're manifesting sorcery or witchcraft. These psychic um, streams of psychic energy impinge upon their aura and attacks them, affects their emotional body and may produce a response. Whatever it is, it's karma and you must pay for it. There's much to learn about um, unadulterated solar plexus aggression or unconscious solar plexus aggression because of frustrated personality ambition, frustrated personality will. When you look back in time and you go back 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 years, you become younger and younger spiritually more prone to solar plexus activity, more prone to naked aggression, selfishness and psychicism, because as you go further back, you are almost certain to be highly religious, developing forms of magic in your religious attitudes. What this then produces is what we call samskaras, tendencies, bats, Uh, built up over a number of lives tendencies of anger, tendencies of aggression and these samskaras then flow through your naughty system to control your personality in the now they become unconscious moods and urges, feelings sometimes aggression at the stupidity of the nation or of the political leaders but it can be upon any other individual that for some reason you don't know unnerves you. You just don't like them. Some personality trait. And the sources in that um, you can trace back to an earlier life. You may have been warriors in different camps in your own country, different sort of competing factions of, of a military scheme. You were the, one of the dragoons and dressed in red, and that person was a groom dressed in blue and your competitors, whatever it is. This inherent memory from past lives strongly manifests through your SP. SP, of course, and sulplexes plexus for short. I use the term ubiquitous, but those of you don't know English, it means it's ever-present, it's everywhere. There are very few members of humanity that's freed from the solar plexus and solar plexus control. And believe me, the entire path to liberation, to enlightenment, is the path of freeing yourself from its effects, to calm the solar plexus, to begin to live in a quiet, still ocean of serenity. The solar plexus, the element is water, the same as the element of the physical plane is earth, and the element of, of the mental plane is fire, the element of enlightenment perception is air, and the element of the higher cosmic mind is ether. It's the control of the waters. Everything to do with the SP is watery. And if you understand the nature of the waters, it's contained by something namely your mind or your body. And it's a force of its own. It can be easily muddied and coloured. And when one looks at this particular energy from or people that are involved in solar plexus activity from a higher mental perspective, the weaknesses are quite apparent. The glazes that people involved, that, that live entirely in their SP, is exceedingly apparent. They live in a world which they know nothing outside it. It's very hard to show them and to explain to them that there's a mind, there's a mental world, there's a world of fire out there. And when you finally break through that SP barrier and you stand beyond it and you can see other people's limitations of mind because they live in this self-imposed universe of personal will, personal desire, personal imagination. Often they've got... Very little that they've developed of their mind, but they think that they're superior to everyone else because the solar plexus makes you think so. It gives you glamour about what you've achieved. I come across this over and over again, this solar plexus glaze in people. Circuitous knowledge, self-defeating knowledge. It's knowledge that feeds itself with opinion of itself and knowledge of itself and will not brook any other opinion or higher revelation into, into it because it really is complete within itself so one of the old adages is when we are trying to give wisdom to students it depends on the size cup that they bring if they bring me a little thimble we can fill that up with wisdom And that's all that they can handle because that's all that the SP will allow them to acknowledge outside themselves, outside their glazes of glamour. Somebody can bring a bucket. We would like to see people that are willing to allow us to pour the wisdom of a lake or an ocean into it. Endless amounts of knowledge and open themselves up to cosmic revelations through control of the SP, the solar plexus is the great enemy of the path. It's certainly the enemy of the meditation mind. How do you demonstrate your SP? By a lot of loquacity, a lot of talkativeness. Always you're busy with your SP, interrelating with other SPs, um, through the mouth, giving to each other the sum total generally of what you know about a subject. And it's such a tiny, tiny little (coughs) bit of knowledge in reality when it comes to enlightened perception, which happens in the still, clear, calm recesses of the meditation mind. And very rarely does an enlightened being get to open up their mouths to talk the subject, because those full of SP have nothing there that allow them to listen. They're really full of themselves and cannot receive a lake because most I can give you is a thimble a little cup to fill up all of you by now should understand the force of the SP how quickly it takes over your entire personality when you're trying to master it, control it you can begin to see how often the impulses to uncontrollably laugh or get angry or, or just talk incoherently or you know, that type of emotional gibberish that most people talk to each other with with unnamed subjects because it makes them feel good and it makes others feel good. And any feeling perception is solar plexus. Happiness is the solar plexus. Joy is the solar plexus. Misery is the solar plexus. Woe is the solar plexus. There's not much difference in our... In our world, between extreme happiness and extreme misery, they're both just the same, or two ends of the same coin. When you produce points of high elation, you weaken your SP by sending out lots of astral substance into the watery environment. And when you're busy being miserable and unhappy, you weaken your SP by sending a lot of astral substance into the watery environment. The only real difference is that one makes you feel joyous and gives you a a lift in life to go forward and the other one sort of um, depresses you and um, makes you think that life is just not worth living. So the positive solar plexus energy comes out to be more useful. But the miserable one also can become more useful because if your whole life is nothing but a pleasure palace like what was given to the Buddha when he was young, then there would be no real incentive for you to develop anything, learn anything, grow in any way. Yeah, you may be happy, but it's a jail. But if life is uh, the school of hard knocks, where you actually have to overcome aspects of your emotions, really struggle and strive, and so there's plenty of chances to be miserable, Because you don't have enough money. The dice of karma is not sort of falling the way that you would want it to fall every time you want it to fall that way. So it gives you plenty of chances to complain. Now, there you've got the opportunity to overcome hardship and therefore grow. There's very few people at university that don't struggle to get their degrees. It's hard work. And to overcome USP is hard work. And that's growth. That's spiritual growth. That's what makes you enlightened. There's a natural place for the SP, and that's in youth, in childhood. The children are rightfully emotional. They're going through the childhood a recapitulation of the childhood of humanity. But as you become adult and more and more mature, you're expected to be in control of your emotions, therefore in control of your destiny. Your mind is supposed to rule and govern not the SP. When you actually become clairvoyant and you see a lot of people chattering in the room, you'll tend to avoid it like a, like a plague. You'll see the types of reticulation of this sharp energy that is not very pleasant. And matter of fact, that chattiness is the source of probably 95% of sicknesses and diseases aided by germs and what you eat and what you don't eat unless you directly eat poisons. Causes of cancers, causes of fevers, causes of inflammations, keep on going. It makes you eat the wrong types of food. You can go on and on and on when you see the evils that derive through uncontrolled emotionality. A group such as this is supposed to be working upon controlling their SP. In other words, they're supposed to be meditative most of the time. It's hard, very hard in this Western context, because as you're learning to become yogins or yoginis and monks, not there in that world out there nobody else is. So you go out into it and they bombard you with their SP. You do have to respond but you're expected to be an actor or an actress. You play a role there, but you never, ever lose control of your SP for one moment. Never. You're calm, controlled, clear-headed, and you work in a way that, yes, the SP is being activated, but your mind is the governing body, not it governing you. I don't particularly demand um, of this group like Pythagoras did over 2,000 years ago that there was two years of silence doing menial chores and many other monasteries had this sort of rule in those days years of silence for the officiate before they were allowed to speak and why was that? so two things one, you can learn a bit of humbleness which is one of the main things disciples need to learn and two, you learn to control your SP, which is the main thing all monks must learn, whether it's the East and the West. One of the objects of the chanting, the, the songs that they sing, the canticles, in the Christian era is the same, to control the SP, to produce a <coughs> serene, calm, meditative mind space that uplifts you and makes you look upwards to God, produce lofty thoughts. In the east, they have mantras. So we use mantras as a device again to control the sp. If you spend most of your life, like some of these older Tibetans do, spinning a prayer wheel and saying Om Mani Padme Om Mani Padme Om Mani Padme and every time you do something with your sp, you say it three times, or um, or give yourself 108 more to do in a row, that helps to control it does it not? Or any other such mantra. In um, Japan, in China, they had the Nembutsu repeating the holy name of Amitabha over again. I did this for years, Amita, Amitabha, uh, Amitiyos, Amita, Amitabha, 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 over and over again. Or the Hare Krishna, you know, Hare Krishna and so forth. These are mantras that are designed for what is simple-minded to control the SP we use a different method. We actually use our minds. We try to control our SP by being in a calm, steady, meditative mind state where at any time impressions can enter into our consciousness. Then we can work with those impressions. Other than that, we don't need to have our minds chattering. The minds chattering and the emotions chattering is deadly to the spiritual path. Get on with your work. Learn something. Read a sacred book. There's plenty of sacred books to read. You can read mine if you want. There's a few good tips in how to gain enlightenment in them. You can see, therefore, when you actually look at the way you manifest your solar plexus center, the way you manifest your emotions, how many years of training you've got ahead of you. How controlled is it? How controlled is your critical mind? How controlled... Is it when, uh, of your ability to suddenly um, come out in spontaneous laughter where you just lose yourself in it? Are you in control of that at all times? How controlled are you whenever you just feel like talking all the time to other people for no real reason, just because there's a desire to talk? This is the gauge of your spirituality. Necessitates a real degree of solar plexus control where you're no longer ruled by the SP. Your mind is in charge. You still may manifest soul plexus activity, but it's no longer the form of activity that guides your life and that determines the way your life goes. Much higher forces come into play. It's the beginning of dying to what you regard as yourself. And the path of enlightenment necessitates complete and utter death of your personality. It's an illusional construct built in this life with some scars and former lives passing through it which the personality is reacting to. You're born as a male or female in a body in a certain cultural situation learning a certain language because of that cultural situation and you identify with the I, the me, the mind because of that cultural situation. But it's transient and it dies. And then another form is born of you. What we call the consciousness stream moves on. It's illusional. And in the enlightenment path you're learning to die to that illusionality or see through it or to control it completely if you wish. So that which is the sum total of the consciousness streams of all of those past lives starts to enter as your consciousness space. And then their states of awareness beyond consciousness itself. This is the great task that confronts all disciples. In the East and in the West we had monasteries to solve some of this problem. Monks basically lived in their little cells and then congregated at times of ritual and then the other times they were busy studying or pray, doing prayers um, or meditating. They had Very little free time other than those things. In the West, they generally have to get up, and also in Tibet, very early in the morning, four o'clock in the morning, they often have something to eat quickly, and then they go and start their morning prayers and so forth. Think of what is life. The life would be like if you're a Trappist monk or a Benedictine or a Tibetan monk or a Zen monk, back in the days when being a Tibetan monk or a Zen monk actually meant something. All of you have had this training from past lives. That's why you're sitting here. If it was not so, you wouldn't be here. You'd be up there eating your meat hamburgers or whatever you think is important um, in your life, but you certainly would not be thinking of learning to control your SP and developing your mind and then. Controlling your mind and then eliminating the thoughts that are no longer useful so that enlightened mind can take its place. That's why you're here. And that's the difficult task I've had in training Western uh, students for years. For decades, they just have not taken their, their path to enlightenment seriously enough. They think it's some emotional game and it's not. I just want to point out something to do with the world situation. Now, ancient Rome. If you ever study ancient Rome like I have, then what you see is a solar plexus centre. That's what the Roman Empire was. Rome is the solar plexus centre of Europe. And when you study its culture, the gladiator matches, for instance, where people were slaughtered in the Colosseum with a lot of people chewing them on. You see in these films, the, the slaves en Mass Spartacus and all the other films that some of you have seen and some of you may even read the books, Gibbon's Decline and Fall of Roman Empire is very good because of his language. What do you have there? Incessant warfare, the rule of the super-rich, the, the governors of the provinces were allowed to tax the people to any degree that they want. The government had only got half of it and the administrators and the other half were sent to Rome. Extreme poverty, sometimes you had wise governors and of course masses of slaves. So you can see all of those imperial wars and then civil wars and wars upon wars. Then you get the dictators, the very embellishment of the personal eye, the self-centered, egotistical individual that ruled the entire empire. The Roman soldiers also generally dressed in red because the energy of the solar plexus is governed by this. The solar plexus center itself, the manipura is mainly green, this type of emerald green, as mixed with red. Because the red gives you the personal will, and then the green gives you the... Types of activity that's that's useful to the solar plexus. Now, so the Roman soldiers had this blood red color, and they had very short swords, broadswords, not the big long, you know, sabers and things like that that they uh, had did all their fightings with in the the past few centuries. Um, were very thin and long, and you know, sword fighting was a big thing in the, in Europe. The purpose of the Roman Empire's swords was simply to stab you in the SP. So it's just a short thrust in the stomach. That's basically the way their soldiers fought. As Napoleon said, an army marches on its stomach. You feed the stomach, you feed the SP, and then the army is happy. And... The whole camaraderie of the soldiers is an SP effect. They use the will of the SP in order to kill and be killed, to go through all those personal hardships. Modern warfare is the same. It's the platoon that is the backbone of an army, run by a sergeant, and they are supposed to look after each other. They'll look after each other more than anyone else. And this is all the SP, and this is where the power of the SP is derived from. Then, um, you bring it back to the modern age, and you look at America. And what is America? Another solar plexus center on this planet, ruled by the sixth ray, martial energy. And when you study our present American, what well, we call it, civilization, totalitarian civilization, is hegemony that 's manifesting all over the world with its military budget that's equal to the rest of the world's put together. What are you studying? The fascism that is now there. The mass amount of guns that they have. The, um, the fact that the police now, if you photograph a police killing somebody on the streets, you're going to be arrested, not that policeman. This is the SP gone mad. And that's what... We, of hierarchy, are now going to try to control on the planet, wide scale. The SP gone mad. And, of course, massive, um, unadulterated capitalism based on fiat money. Money that's created out of thin air that people will work their whole lives for and, and kill. And, you know, the whole story of modern consumerism, exploitive capitalism. This is what is governing the world. And a group such as this, and there's probably a few others over in this planet, are trying to free themselves from that solar plexus tyranny. On a planet scale, it destroys the forests, it wipes out the fishes in the oceans, it pollutes the atmosphere. And these physical symbols of the destruction of the the, the forest and the fauna and and the the pollution is on a massive scale before everyone's eyes. What you do whenever you use your SP in a negative way, when you're angry, when you're emotional, you send out streams and torrents of crappy, greyish, red and brownish energies that pollutes the psychic atmosphere. You have to clean it up later. Because this is your karma. This is the mess. And how do you clean it up? In a later life, like you have to clean up the mess of a, of a child when it's um, got its diapers dirty. And this is your diaper. Because from our point of view, from hierarchy's point of view, the solar plexus is but childhood. Adolescence. See yourself psychically and you would be horrified when you manifest your solar plexus centre in an uncontrolled manner. The other thing to do with the SP that I point to, from the yogic perspective, it's a ten-petal lotus, and it's really the interrelationship of two pentads of petals, one pentad pointing upwards towards the higher centres, and the other pentad pointing downwards towards the lower centers. It's quite a simple chakra from that point of view. The pentads of pranas, five different types of pranas, the five different types of elements. And what feeds into it is the sum of what we call the inner round, all of the minor chakras in the body. Now, when I talk, Esoterically, for instance, in my cellular consciousness, about the energies of the solar plexus, I call them animal-like. They are the pranas of the animal kingdom. It's not only humans that are emotional, but those of you own few pets know that pets are quite devotional and quite emotional as well. It's energies generated and developed by the animal kingdom. That's the whole purpose of evolution, to first develop the solar plexus. It's the abdominal brain, and that's where most people think with. They don't think with this, they think with their solar plexus centre, with a minute amount of mental stimulus going to it. They're thinking in an emotional, feeling way. As I said, it's all enclosed with concepts of self. Think of your heart as the way out of DSP. Just think of the fact that that's the reason why in ancient Egypt and in all these ancient religions we had feriomorphic deities, animal-headed deities. Have you ever thought why? Because they represent the personification of the forces of the solar plexus centre. And the magic of those days, going back 3,000 or so years, was the magic of of the solar plexus to develop psychic powers what in Sanskrit is called siddhis the psychic powers are animal headed just the same as in the Tibetan book of the dead and so all these petals of the solar plexus and all these minor petals are all animal headed pranas they are energies or the pranas that were developed when you were evolving through the animal kingdom and just simply a throwback of the animal kingdom into the now while you're inhabiting physical bodies that are animal bodies, but you're trying to integrate it with the human consciousness, which is the soul working through your mind. There's your battle of <coughs> discipleship. You're going to get rid of this animal consciousness so that the true human quality... What in um, Sanskrit is called manas. And the human unit is called manasaputra. A body of mind or a form that is the container of mind. That's the way in Sanskrit the human is described manasaputra. We're not animals, we are humans. We are beings of mind. And that's what distinguishes us from the animal kingdom. They are evolving mind human beings have evolved mind but most are still living in the animal state of consciousness. Of course we also have with our minds imaginations and strong desires and all these other forces that they don't have. Understand this particular aspect of your emotions and as you working to control, and when you read my cellular consciousness, those of you I hope to finally do, you'll get hundreds of pages explaining how to overcome the various aspects of these feriomorphic entities associated with your solar plexus centre and the other minor centres associated with it. The endocrine glands are the externalisations of the seven major chakras. And your organs... Are the externalizations of the minor chakras, the chakras of the inner realm. Now, energy follows thought, this is an old adage. But the reality is that the type of energy that comes through your chakras controls what happens with your physical body. If it's sickly energy, when you're mainly stimulating, say, the stomach center, which is a minor chakra relating to anger and hatred and things like this and, and strong emotions, then what will come and weaken that area controlled by the stomach centre or the liver centre, um, which is the general pranas of humanity, um, it will weaken that particular centre because all the time you're throwing grungy energy into there and eventually the entities that live in that very, very low vitalized, devitalized obsessed um, pool of energy breed in great numbers. They attack you. They attack that center. And of course then you can think in terms of the food you eat and the pills you take and whatever. But that's all the result of your desire body based on lack of proper mental reasoning. We of hierarchy, we don't take these pills. We work with natural healing methods. We work with divas. We work with vital energies that's in food, in herbs, in a fruit, and things like that. And predominantly with the energy of the mind, of the soul itself. Think about it more. What is the infancy of humanity? Well, we, in our philosophy, think in terms of the Lemurian era, the third root race, when... Human beings are mainly physical. Animal man, you can think of it like that, involved in sexual appetites and aggression, aggressive postures. And the next stage was the Atlantean epoch when the solar plexus center was developed. Early Atlantis was something like paradise. Oh, yes, it's paradise. It's the time just after Adam and Eve were expelled from the Garden of Eden. And we had childlike dreamers of humanity. You can almost not imagine how beautiful life was then. The gods worked with human beings. Sons of God, yes. Brilliant in the Sanskrit we use the term La. And the shining ones. The hierarchy of the time. And the human beings lived totally in astral or clairvoyant ability. Totally clairvoyant. They knew not their own nakedness. you know what that means? You're not aware of sin. You didn't have a mind that could discriminate this or that. You just lived in this dreamy, um, utopian, idealistic world. Wonderful, isn't it? Childhood. Just think of a young child that lives in this world that's not interrupted with our minds. That's the child of humanity. In, in the old myths they called it the golden age to represent that type of quality. There was a time when the Lord of this world had to pour into the planet the energy of mind, menace. And this was a very difficult time indeed. It meant with the mind, fused with the emotions, then you get desire mind and you start the whole cycle of black magic. Manipulative control of other people's possessions through your ability to control the SP. Manipulate the SP. Kill them by SP. Make them sick through the control of the SPs. To produce palaces and things like that. Unicorns and all these entities will reel the rise of magic the rise of black magic, the rise of sorcery, using the energy of the solar plexus to manipulate, control others who are inferior to you because you had some mind and they didn't. Fire was a potent weapon in those days. The fire of mind. Add fire and water and you get steam and therefore you get the production of what in the Bible is called the outer darkness, the astral plane proper and the heaven and hells eventually we produced the Atlantean Wars horror, plagues upon this earth everything was blackened physical plane war and psychic war mixed together not like today when it's almost purely physical and believe me they had magical implications they could levitate rocks of tremendous size and they could also levitate flying ships And so the wars were also in the air as well as on the physical plane. They didn't need um, fuel as we need now. They just needed mantra and control of the astral forces of this planet. Some of you, if you dig far enough, can remember the mantras for killing people. You can remember the mantras for making them sick, to give them sexual diseases of all types. Fun stuff when people are doing that to each other. What are they doing now? Uh, they're just stealing everyone's money, producing masses of monetary imbalance in this world, yes? Some are super rich and most are struggling, poor. But at least they're not sort of killing you through psychic methodologies and sickening you that way. Of course, they've got the what we call the Aryan root race, which is the fifth root race of mind methodology of killing you that ways by of course poisoning your water and making you drink, eat um, mineral plain drugs and all the other stupidity of of the modern medical profession or the higher correspondence of what they did in the days think it out, those of you that are evolving your spiritual consciousness now have to overcome the samskaras of being black magicians in those days. All of you. This um, mentioned before, the solar plexus centre being a ten-petal lotus with five up and five down. And the interesting thing about the solar plexus is this, that Shambhala, from a cosmic point of view, we call it the head centre or the kingdom of God, is also a solar plexus centre. When well, looked from a, a vast uh, plane of perception that we're doing from down here. And um, why is a solar plexus centre? Because its main purpose is to draw into manifestation cosmic astral energies, the cosmic waters, which we call love, pure, unadulted love of a capital L. In my books, I explain a lot about this um, because this is the energy of Chitta, the enlightenment mind, after it's been toned down a little bit by Hirush. But the solar plexus, the center that is Shambhala, the kingdom of God, pours onto this planet an almost unbearable energy, an unbearable force of SP energy that when it hits the planet causes lots of problems amongst humanity have no resistance to it because of their waters their uncontrolled waters Sambala does this therefore when Sambala sends energy through it normally does it via hierarchy which tones it down and tones it down in such a way through the work of the Bodhisattvas that the energies become shall we say more loving, more compassionate from that point of view more able to be born by humanity. How do they turn it down? By raying into into manifest space disciples such as you are, who can bear stronger energies than others without distortion. And how can you bear it? Because you're working upon yourself, you're working upon your SPs. First ray disciples have got a predilection to um, to channel more of the first ray energy which is cosmic astral than others therefore they have to hold within them a stronger amount of solar plexus energy and this is the force of the unadulterated first ray their martial abilities the ability in the seventh ray then grounds us onto the physical plane as seventh ray power the power to get works done, manifest things on the physical plane to overcome obstacles And, of course, the world's military machine, they love this energy. They already discussed the Roman Empire war machine and the present American one. What this really means is that as you work to control your SP, your solar plexus, as disciples, what happens to you? You're calming your minds, and what happens to you? The doors to the Shambhalic energy start to enter. And in this course, there's lots of problems for you. And because suddenly you've got to deal with this intensity of energy that you've never had to deal with before because you're not cleansed enough. Your vehicles are not a receptacle that could handle it before. But the purpose of the in of shambhalic energies is to awaken your chakras, to cleanse your nadis, to transform your Consciousness to produce the Philosopher's Stone inside you, enlighten you, make you fourth dimensional in your thinking in your sight, awaken your eyes. Die. die. Die, die, die to your personality cells. Awaken to cosmic perception, to the ways the lords of Shambhala think. So your whole bodily nature gets refined. Your consciousness must be of a refined enough state, vibrating at a high energy frequency in order to withstand the impact of the energy that's coming down. And this is one of the problems of discipleship. As you go through the levels of discipleship and you respond to this more intense energy, it throws out the substance that is negative within you, that is disease. that is toxic. So disciples go through cycles of sicknesses. You'd think it would be the other way around now, but they've got to cleanse this substance first before the grosser substance must come out before the high energy comes in. So as the high energy comes out, it throws out the muddied waters and then it's like washing off a dirty old rag And first of all, you have rinse one, rinse two, rinse three, rinse four, rinse five, rinse six, until eventually it's nice and clean. Hmm? And the same when it comes to this energy. And so it's poured into you slowly, and it throws out your toxins. And the toxins are not just that which produces your sicknesses, of the the diseases of disciples, but also those negativities of your mind, your emotions um, that you never knew you had. Volatility. Volatility. You are tested in these things because the intense energy brings them to the surface. The some samskaras have to be transmuted. You are the crucible of experience. You are the alchemist's retort. And this is the mechanism of transmuting base substance into gold. You are the vehicle, the mechanism. As this energy comes in and goes through the retort up and down the spinal column through chakra after chakra Until eventually there's nothing there but light. Enlightenment. The clear light of mind, we call it in Buddhism. Luminosity. The mind is luminous and radiant like a sun. Nothing there that causes it to be boxed in. No constraints of mind. Empty of thoughts. Empty of self. Selflessness. So you can see that This whole alchemical process concerns the transmutation of your watery nature by means of mind, first of all, and then by means of cosmic waters. It flushes through your system over and over again until eventually your mind is up there in the stars. And that whole cosmic universe is your consciousness. Wonderful thought, nothing but space is left and the entities that reside in space. Most of you think that this physical body and the little mind and the watery field around it is all there is to life. That's what you identify with. And when you're something far, far, far vaster than that, that's what we are trying to reveal to you. And this solar plexus, Energy in your group, solar plexus, and solar plexus thinking is your great enemy. The sad thing about this, of course, you can't just stifle it. You can't just suppress it, because then it will come out all these watery explosions later on. You've got to transform it, transmute it, cleanse it. And it takes time. It's not easy. This is the battle of the disciple, the testings of initiation this crucible of experience I've mentioned 1st ray disciples and how they can quickly penetrate the um, the cosmic astral waters and it brings into them a very, very strong force that they often can't control very easily it exaggerates them gives them quite um, exaggerated personality often fierce tempers when they are sort of younger But the second ray, what does it do to them, the second ray line? Well, it generally sort of gives them nice watery disposition. It entombs them in um, subtle emotionalities. They can't get themselves out of this... Sometimes a type of, what I call a wet paper bag of thinking. They're they sort of fighting in this tomb of indecision and decisiveness is one of them. Lots of little fleeting thoughts are coming this way and that and they can't see um, one from the other. Then it produces this continuous little dreams of emotionality that is almost below their threshold of consciousness. It's just continuously there, controlling their every move and their every thought. The easier ones that can actually control the SP are those on the rays of mind direct because they got the fires of mind and for them it is easier to control the SP, to control the waters. They do it with the fire direct. But for them, what happens is concretions of mind. Okay, on the whole, I think um, I've given you enough for those of you that want more on this subject, read my cellular consciousness, read the present book, The Way to Shambhala read the eye concept there's a couple of thousand pages there at least to read and you'll learn much more detail of all aspects of this particular fascinating subject
1: paradoxically the solar plexus is the foundation for developing love in a sense of evolution of the earthly culture that integrating an ordering effect of the S P was necessary for the evolution of mm. the Earth's culture and so now you see it in, in the world in great engineering works and shipbuilding works and oil rigs and mines where this massive S P juggernaut can do these very big things and make available to the whole world very quickly things like computers and helicopters and bordovers and whatever it needs. And so this sort of somewhat mechanistic but potentially sharing aspect of the SP allows it to quickly do lots of useful jobs. It's just that it needs to be modified by more refined thinking and love so that the things that it makes and does are, are more suited to more subtle needs of communities and are more reflective of, you know, high, more... Qualitative understandings and it doesn't produce in excess and it doesn't um, destroy it in its response to nature's cues. Anyway, so it was sort of good good in a way because there's no two ways about it, you know. It's very handy to have yeah, this. One
0: other way of looking at the SP from, from what you're saying also is that it is nature. Yeah. The energy of Mother Nature is in the solitary center. So we all live within it. But in nature you see the good points where everything is harmonized and manifested in to perfection. It's only when human free will comes into it that it's personal will, that it's destructive. S P energy. Basically you just need, you need to all of you need just to be reminded over and over and over again to bring down our Temper your, your emotions, um, control them. Um, don't allow them to be explosive. Don't sort of get too carried up in, you know, emotional interchanges with, with um, fellow disciples or others. Be much more controlled within yourselves. Be much more meditative as you talk, as you walk, as you do things, especially within group context and um, that also will then help in all decision-making and all the things that you do. There is a certain force that comes from the SP, as you people have pointed out, that helps you create things, to produce, for instance, these appliances and this mechanism of this material world that is beneficial, but at the same time, there's an enormous destructive potency that comes from it when it is misused misapplied, and it's warlike attitudes such as the destruction of forests, the destruction of the oceans, the pollution of the air, wars that happen on this planet, and so forth. So it's got its good and bad points, but all of you actually have to learn to master, to control it, and then to sublimate it, to transmute it into love, from clear, cold, compassionate reason. And the other thing is obviously for everyone it's exceedingly difficult within this Western world that so much lives in it and cherishes it and applauds it above everything else or promotes it above everything else to actually be modern monks trying to counteract it
1: within your own lives to go against that stream. But that's the task that's asked of you.